Attendance has become a big issue at some of these early games. We'll talk about that and scheduling. I'll break down my recent trip up to Charlottesville for the Florida State-Virginia game, and we'll take a look at what's a monster slate of games coming up this weekend. Let's get into it. And it was BYOG, bring your own guts! Fourth and five, the national championship on the line. Got the big man! I think Notre Dame got it right Put it on the board for Bama. Turn, turn, pulls free! The Hitler's got it on the deflection! Mercy's got a score! It's picked off! Breaks free, they won't catch him, I don't believe! Fires to the end zone! Touchdown! He's going for the corner! He's got it! There goes Davis! Oh my god! Davis! It's caught! It's caught! It's caught! Oh, is that a good game or what? going on everybody this is michael kirkering here let's talk college football podcast and i'm going to start off right from the get-go talking about my recent trip up to virginia charlottesville for the florida state virginia game and let me just say right off the bat that uh, my fiance denise and i we had a blast up there it was my first time going up there for anything never been to virginia and we went there for the game obviously Nationally, this game wasn't too important. Florida State's obviously down, and Virginia hasn't really been anything in over a decade, although they are on their way to prominence with Bronco Mendenhall. They had a good season last year and looking to maybe have a pretty good season this year, so we'll see how they do. Now, none of that really matters when it comes to me enjoying an experience. Obviously, if Florida State was 2-0 going to the game, it would be a little more intense, a lot more on the line, but when I'm in a stadium rooting for my team in that moment I don't really care what my team's record is or the opponent that we're playing I'm just a fan in a stadium hoping for a good college football game and hoping that my team can get the W now Florida State wasn't able to get the W if we break down the game real quick it was a really good game back and forth Florida State looked a lot better on defense than they had all season and then the fourth quarter happened and Bryce Perkins for Virginia was able to make some plays, get a two-point conversion, go down the field, and then Florida State was unable to score on the last play. They had the ball near the goal line with about three seconds left. They do a direct snap to Cam Akers, and nightmare memories of 1995 came up as a direct snap to the running back. Once again, leads Florida State to a loss in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I do got to say, honestly, this was an electric atmosphere for a college football game it, it reminded me of games at doke at night it reminded me of florida state playing at clemson a place i've been to just once but probably one of the most electric places i've been to that being clemson and honestly i kept feeling like i was at clemson i don't know if it was because everyone was wearing orange or because it was a night game with an electric atmosphere i'm hearing that that was their first sellout in almost like a decade or something in virginia but They have a lot of hype. Their fan base is pumped. They've dealt with a lot of losing over the last decade or so, and they've got a pretty good team and a pretty good coach right now, and it was an electric atmosphere. We flew into Charlottesville the day of the game, landed around noon, took an Uber over to the Airbnb we were staying at, got dressed, and then headed out into town. I will say the tailgating scene wasn't, you know, everything I would maybe have hoped for, but, you know, Virginia, like I said, they're not... A big football school it's probably a bigger deal when they're playing a big basketball game but 
it was definitely impressive. We were downtown to start off the day. Uh, there was also a pride parade going on at the same time, which, was, which could explain a little bit why the tailgating wasn't as epic as you would liked. But we spent some time downtown. We, we watched some games at Citizen Burger, had some food, then headed out to another sports bar where we watched USC get beat, which sucked for me because I had them in my pool and was also devastating for Denise because... That's one of her teams that she roots for. She's from Laguna Beach, California, in case I had never said that before. But then we made our way to the corner, which is kind of the place um, in Charlottesville where the students are, where everybody kind of gets down. There's two pretty big bars there everyone gathers at. So we got some drinks there, then made our way to the stadium. A um, little bit of shenanigans getting into the stadium. My fiance Denise, had her purse, and they said it was clear bags only, and we were kind of in a pickle there for a second because there was no way we were going to be able to go all the way back to the Airbnb and come back. Even if we could have gotten an Uber, it would have taken like an hour to get that whole thing done. We would have missed like the first quarter. That wasn't going to happen. So long story short, I took matters into my own hands and found a part of the fence and kind of slipped her purse in there. Then we went over and got into the game with our tickets and ran over to that spot and the purse was still there grabbed it, and got into the game with the purse. So, you know, we had some white claws before the game, and that's probably what sparked my lawless attitude headed in there. But as they say, there's no laws when you're drinking claws, so what can I say? Anyway, getting into the game was a lot of fun. You could just feel the energy in the air. Like I said, nationally, a lot of people probably weren't paying attention to this game, but as far as college football goes, this was an exciting venue, really fun game, frustrating at times for both teams. There were penalties, um, some questionable officiating, um, and, and of course Virginia almost catching Florida State's sickness when it comes to defensive penalties on the final drive. Um, on Florida State's final drive, we had like 71 yards, and I think like 60 of them were in penalties pass interference, uh, roughing the passer, then Bronco Mendenhall got his own penalty for flipping out after a, an interesting pass interference call. Um, long story short, Virginia wins 31-24 in what's a great showdown. But yeah, I highly recommend getting out to Charlottesville for a game if you haven't. It was a lot of fun and definitely looking forward to more road games in the future. And I don't know when Florida State will be back in Charlottesville. That's one of the reasons why we went is because with these cross-divisional games, Florida State has Miami locked in every year. So we only get like one rotating opponent. I'm pretty sure the last time before this that Florida State was even in Charlottesville was maybe 2005. So we really wanted to take advantage of that. And now with that being said, let's get into some of the issues and, and things that have been discussed this last week. And one thing that stood out to me, and this is something I think is important, is um, attendance is down a little bit across the country. Now, part of that is due to how hot these games are. It's Especially these games in the South, you're looking at plus 90 degrees, over 60% humidity. It's just it's hard to sit there, especially for elderly people, and make it through these games. I mean, just walking in Virginia... This last weekend, it was like upper 70s with some high humidity, you know, and I'm still sweating. It still feels pretty hot out. So I can only imagine what it's been like, you know, with some of these Midwest games or these Southern games, Ole Miss, Georgia, some of these places. But people are complaining about attendance being down, and obviously the number one reason for that is television. I mean, watching on television is so enjoyable these days, and people like me, nerds, that want to be able to watch more than one game all day, 
they love sitting at home and watching television. I mean, I can already tell you right now, this weekend's going to be a couch potato day for me, that is for Saturday, for all these games. But I think another important reason why attendance is down is some scheduling issues. Now, some teams are scheduling better than others, but the reality is, is week one, two, three in college football, yeah, we get some big matchups. You know, there's always one or two good kickoff games week one, and then you get one or two big-time, primetime, non-conference games in week two or three. Last week, or two weeks ago, sorry, we had the LSU and Texas game, Clemson, Texas A&M. This upcoming week, we have Georgia, Notre Dame. That one's going to be exciting. Everyone's really pumped about that, as they should be. But 90% of the games during those weeks are cupcake games for a lot of these teams. A lot of these, especially ACC and SEC teams, they play a lot of FCS opponents, and nobody wants to go to those games. Nobody wants to watch those games on TV. And I talked about this a little last year when I was talking about scheduling issues that would help fix the playoff. And on top of fixing the playoff, I think it would fix the attendance issue. And I think we've come to a point where we need to mandate everybody playing Power 5 teams. The Power 5 conferences should only play each other in a 12-game season, maybe let one game a year be for a group of five school, and let's just get rid of the SCS opponents altogether. There's just no interest there. It's not fun. And even for schools you know, like Tennessee or like my Florida State, which almost lost to the group of five school, but you see these group of five schools beating some of these bigger teams, but I'd honestly would rather lose to a Power 5 team than lose to a group of five team, if, even if my team's bad. And I know that means that some teams won't be bowl eligible because they're going to have more losses, but I think that's just overall going to be better for college football. For example, this weekend, you know, we have Ole Miss in California. That's awesome, but it's a rare thing. And usually when you have schools play these non-conference games, for example, LSU has Texas this year. That was great. But LSU also played a couple super mediocre teams that nobody wants to watch. And I'm not saying you got to go play a top five team, um, but look look at Alabama, right? I don't have a problem with their first game being Duke. A lot of people are ripping on them because that wasn't a, a big enough non-conference game for them. Well, I don't care. It's, it's a power five team from the ACC. That, that's fine. My beef is what comes after that. They played New Mexico State. They play Southern Miss later, and then they play some other FCS school later. So talk about if I'm an Alabama season ticket holder... That's just, those are three home games there that I would have no interest in going, especially in today's day and age with television. You're telling me that as an Alabama fan, you would rather go to Alabama, New Mexico State when you could sit at home and watch LSU, Texas, Georgia, Notre Dame, these other games that are going on? I I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't go to Florida State versus Louisiana Monroe when I could be watching LSU, Texas. I talked about that last week. That's literally what I did. I left the bar while my team was down because I wanted to go watch LSU versus Texas. It's just a more entertaining game. If Florida State was playing some Pac-12 school, some Big 12 school, another SEC school, even if it wasn't a prominent one, I would have stayed and watched. That would have been twice as entertaining. So I think if Alabama would have, okay, they played Duke to open, what if they would have had Arizona come in later or TCU? Not, not even a good school, you know, just someone from a Power 5 conference. It could be Virginia Tech, you know, anybody that 
just has a power five conference behind them to back them a bigger brand you're gonna have more fans traveling you're definitely gonna have more fans showing up to those games staying through the length of those games because the worst part about these fcs games or these crappy group of five games is the fact that most of them are blowouts and they're over at halftime and then you got nick saban wondering why everybody's leaving the game at halftime well you're not entertaining anybody when you're up 62 to nothing at halftime and you put a bunch of backups in and the game slows down and it's just it's just boring, especially with the fact that I can go and watch all the other great games that are on during the week. It just isn't reasonable to expect fans to do that. Now, the bigger picture here is I think this would also really help with the college football playoff selection, right? You guys know my whole spiel about how it works and how record pretty much trumps everything. Strength of schedule kind of matters, but only in tie-breaking situations. And if you have a conference championship and another team doesn't, and you have the same record as them, there's a 99% chance you're going to get picked over the playoff over them, right? We, I talked about this last week, how everybody's already talking about this scenario with two, maybe even three SEC teams getting in the playoff because what if LSU goes 11-1 and one and Bama goes undefeated or something? And I'm telling you right now, if let's say Washington or Utah is 11-1, 12-1, sorry, and then goes 13-1, and or yeah, 12 and 1 with the conference championship, they're going to get selected over that LSU team. Even though most likely that LSU team is twice as good as that team. That's just kind of how this thing works. So, what's going to make that easier to do is if everybody played 12 Power 5 teams or at least 11 in a decent group of 5 school, if everybody from every conference did that, then you could rely way, way more on the record thing, right? Look at the NFL. No one cares about strength of schedule. Not all the schedules are equal in the NFL. The two conferences are not always equal in the NFL. But we just respect the fact that the winner of a division is the team with the best record. If you are 11-5 and five in the NFL, you are going to get put higher over a 10-6 and six team. Even if that 10-6 and six team had like four way harder games than you. They played the Patriots twice and you didn't play them at all, right? That doesn't matter in the NFL. Obviously, that stuff has to matter a little bit in college because the NFL has this thing called parity for the most part, which is awesome. And in college football has a lot more parity than it used to, which is good, but it's still nowhere near the NFL. I mean, let's be honest, the separation between, you know, the top five right now and even the rest of the 25, let alone the rest of the nation, it's pretty high. But that's why I've talked about how college football's never really been about the national championship. It's about bowl games. It's about rivalries. It's about tradition. It's about all these other things, right? That's the reason why I was able to go to Charlottesville this weekend and have an awesome time and enjoy an amazing college football game in a fun venue, even though my team was one and two and is now, or is now one and two after that game. And Virginia is not really a big brand that a lot of people care about. But for me, being an ACC fan, a Florida State fan, and a college football fan, first and foremost, that was a really fun game to go to, and I had a blast. And I think everybody would have more fun if we got more and more road trips. And another problem with the scheduling is a lot of these big matchups we get, especially in week one, instead of those being at somebody's home stadium, we have them in these neutral sites. And I'm not against a couple of cool neutral site kickoff games. I think that's part of college football tradition at this point. I mean, you can go back decades and you find these kickoff classics and these neutral NFL sites. But for the most part, I think it would be better if a lot of these games were played in home stadiums. 
For example, the Georgia-Notre Dame series that's happening. In 2017, Georgia went up to Notre Dame. And Georgia fans packed that place, right? Because Georgia is a historic program, Notre Dame's a historic program, and Georgia fans have never really been up that north for a game like that, especially Notre Dame. So they busted out money, and they made that road trip up to Notre Dame. And this weekend, we're having that same matchup, but in Athens. And I just think that's so much better than if, what if that game was played in New York? or Dallas, or one of these, it just, it wouldn't have the same feel at all, you know, it just wouldn't be the same, I'm a huge fan of the home and homes, talked about that last podcast, and I'm not a big fan of these neutral site games, I think I've brought this up before, but Florida State scheduled a series with LSU, I think in 25 and 26, or 27, coming up here in the next several years, and they're both, at this point, neutral site games, one in New Orleans, one in Orlando, And it's like, come on, if I'm going to New Orleans, I want it to be for a Sugar Bowl or a national championship, not an opener against LSU. I would so much rather go to Death Valley. And as a fan, I probably won't go to that game in New Orleans. And I hope that a lot of other fans do the same. I wish there was a way to start a petition to get that move to a home-and-home series because those are two helmets I've wanted to see play each other for a long time. But when you put them in these neutral site games, it just it takes literally half the fun out of it for me. Now, maybe I'm alone there. I think there are a lot of fans that don't care at all about where a game's played. They just want to see games get played. And I understand that. But for me, with the tradition and everything that college football represents, I just feel like we have to have these home-and-home games. And not only will it make it easier for the playoff selection when you know everybody for the most part has the same schedule, obviously schedules still won't be made completely equal, right? An SEC team might have a gauntlet that's totally different than what a Pac-12 team goes for, but it is a lot easier to judge when everybody has played 12 Power 5 games or at least 11 with a good group of five mixed in because there are a lot of good group of fives right i think if you're playing memphis if you're playing ucf obviously if you're playing boise state those are just as respectable if not more respectable than some power five teams so for example florida state played boise state this year i wouldn't count that as some group of five warm-up game i mean florida state lost the game for crying out loud but even if florida state was rolling like they're supposed to be rolling that still wouldn't have been some give me game that would have been just as exciting or impressive as beating Berkeley or beating Baylor, right? Some of these power five schools. So I really think that this scheduling thing would fix two huge problems. It's going to fix a lot of the college football selection stuff when it comes to playoff and bowl games. And it's really going to fix some of these attendance issues. Because I'm telling you one thing right now, if Florida State's playing random power five school at home, I'm going to that game. I would drive up to Tallahassee to see Florida State play UCLA. Even though UCLA sucks, I I would do that because that's just an interesting, fun matchup to see at Dote Campbell. If Florida State was going on the road to Kansas State, whether Kansas State was a top 10 team or they were terrible, I would probably make that road trip. I would love to go there and see that game in that venue. I can't wait to go to Florida State versus Boise State next year at Boise State on the blue field. That's going to be super cool. I had a blast in 2009 when my dad, grandpa, uncle, and I went out to BYU for the Florida State BYU game in Provo. That that was fun. It was a great venue. And college football just needs more of that, you know, if we're being honest. And, and they are doing better. It is better now than it was 10, 15 years ago, I think, for the most part. 
But if you look at the 80s, and maybe I'm just looking strictly at Florida State. Obviously, Florida State was not in the ACC then, back in the 80s. But Florida State was always playing all these SEC schools, these Big Ten schools, and they were going on the road. Even in the 90s, once they joined the, the ACC, they still had up in Michigan in 91. We had a home-and-home home series with USC in the late 90s. And Florida State, up until you know more recently, has always been willing to go and play anybody anywhere. Clemson's also always done a pretty good job at that. I mean, let's break down Clemson's non-conference opponents the last decade. They played at Auburn in 2010. Auburn came to Death Valley in 2011. They had a kickoff game against Auburn in 2012, if I'm not mistaken. Also, if you want to go back to 09, they had a kickoff opener against Bama. Then in 2013 and 14, they had a home-and-home with Georgia, big SEC school. Then in 16 and 17, they did another home-and-home with Auburn. And then they just did a home-and-home with Texas A&M in 18 and 19. I mean, that, if you're a Clemson fan, you got to travel to some really cool venues and also welcome some really cool teams into your place this last decade. And Florida State, my team, you know, they haven't been too great at doing that. That's because we played in a lot of kickoff games. You know, we played Bama in Atlanta. We played Oklahoma State in Dallas. We played Ole Miss in Orlando. Now, we did have the home-and-home series with Oklahoma in 2010 and 11, and that was really fun. I went to that Oklahoma game in 2010 in Norman, and even though we got our butts whooped, it was awesome to be able to experience Norman, Oklahoma. So college football just needs to get back to these games. We need more of them as fans. Please, fans, everyone, get on Twitter, get online, email your ADs, harass them until we get more of these games, because these games can happen. I was listening to the ESPN College Football Podcast the other day, Curb Street was on, and he was talking about how he had talked to some ADs recently, and these games can be done. They can be done. We don't have to ruin all the old rivalries, right? Nebraska and Colorado can play each other all the time if they want to, if their ADs get their heads out of their ass, right? Penn State and Pitt, we need that rivalry every year, okay? That That's an amazing rivalry. The fans love it, and the fact that those two schools don't get to play each other more often is ridiculous, Florida and Miami should play more often. Every time Florida and Miami play Bethune-Cookman, they should be playing each other, okay? But because of the playoff, that also has kind of damaged the scheduling because now teams are so worried about having a good record to get in the playoff, they're afraid to schedule these games and these potential losses, especially SEC schools, right? Because in their mind, and kind of rightfully so, but kind of not, they think we're this big conference, we have this gauntlet, the last thing we want to do is add a really tough non-conference game to our crazy SEC gauntlet, and I think they just need to get over that. Yeah, their conference is better, but that's just the way it is. You only play eight conference games, so you don't need to play four patsies just because you play in the SEC. I think every Power 5 school should be forced to play at least, at least 11 power five teams every single year and then maybe one group of five school i'm not totally opposed to leaving one group of five opponent on the table now what i think they should do is have everybody play that group of five school in week one you get a home game against a group of five school in week one unless you were selected for a kickoff game if you play in one of these week one kickoff classics and i think there should only be about four or five of them max so we get a good week one but week one should be 
we got our five kickoff classics at neutral sites, and then we get a bunch of home games against group of five schools. Now, if you were selected for a kickoff game, then you would play your group of five school at home in week two to make up for that. But everybody else is going to play power five home and away games weeks two and three. That would make week two and three so much more interesting. And then week four through the rest of the season, we start to get into conference play. And obviously, there'd be some conference play in week two and three anyway, right? Like Florida State and Florida play at the end of every year. That's a non-conference game for both of them. So maybe Florida State would play an ACC game week two and not two or three straight um, power five opponents that they would take on. So... Anyway, that's kind of my spiel there about the scheduling. I've talked about it before. If you actually are one of the 20 people that listens to this podcast every week, I know I'm just banging on the same drum over and over, but I think this is really important. This is what I would like to see the future of college football go. All right, now let's get into what's going to be a monster, awesome, fun weekend. Like I said, it's going to be a couch potato weekend. One of the nice things about the East Coast is I don't have to get up at 6 a.m. to watch college game day. I can sleep in, get up around 9 when it's starting, get my coffee, you know, watch college game day. Or if I have stuff to get done, I can get things done and not have to worry about any games starting until noon instead of 9 a.m., which is what I've always been used to out on the West Coast. But let's go slot by slot for the times and see what's going on. So at noon, two big games I'm super excited for. Number one, California at Ole Miss. This will be an interesting game to kind of see where the Pac-12 is at. Now, I spent the last podcast kind of defending the Pac-12, which is something I never thought I'd be doing. But they just get a bad rep, and a lot of that's deserved, but some of it not so much. And my whole point was, hey, you know, that an undefeated or one-loss Pac-12 champion will make the playoff over a one-loss SEC school that doesn't win the conference. I know people don't want to hear that, but it's true. Get over it. But it's funny now that literally after last week, half of the Pac-12 is ranked. And Washington's loss to Cal might not look bad like it did when it initially happened if California is able to go beat Ole Miss. Not that Ole Miss is an impressive SEC school right now, but if Ole Miss is able to win, it kind of puts back in the narrative that, hey, a mediocre SEC school is able to beat one of your ranked Pac-12 teams, the Pac-12 sucks, and and that might happen. We'll, We'll have to see. But from where we sit today, six Pac-12 schools are ranked in the top 25. You got Utah sitting there at number 10, and I do think they're the strongest team right now. You got Oregon down at 16. Washington State is sitting at 19. Washington, still very dangerous. They're there at 22. 23, you've got Cal. And at 24, you got Arizona State following their big win at Michigan State. Now, I don't think... The final rankings will have that many Pac-12 teams ranked, but that is very good for the conference right now. And it also helps confirm that the bottom conference in the Power Five is the ACC. Clemson, yeah, sitting there at number one, but besides that, all you have is Virginia sitting there at number 21. They're 3-0. They're probably the second best team in the conference, and that's just not going to cut it right now for the ACC. Florida State's down. NC State got embarrassed at West Virginia, and West Virginia doesn't look like they're any good. So the ACC is definitely at the bottom right now, and that's fine. Things change on a yearly basis. No one needs to get all worried about that. The ACC is never going to become what the Big East was. I don't think any 
of the Power Five conferences will ever get to the point where they're almost irrelevant, like what happened to the Big East um, about 11, or sorry, yeah, almost 11 years ago at this point. But yeah, um, impressive for the Pac-12 to have six teams ranked right now. Now the other big game, also at noon, the exciting one, is Michigan at Wisconsin. And this is a big, big game for Harbaugh and Michigan. They really need to win this game. And it's going to be tough going into Madison. I expect it to be a low-scoring, typical Big Ten slug-it-out game. And I honestly don't even know who I have in that game. I think in my pool I might go with Michigan. But that's a really tough game to pick. And you know on this podcast I don't do much predicting and stuff, but that's going to be a really fun game. I'm excited to watch it. And then we move on to the 330 slate, and the 330 slate is just loaded. Three big games that are nationally important, and then four that I'll be watching if you include Louisville at Florida State. That one's important for me, and that's a big game for Florida State. They pretty much have to win that game for Willie Taggart to have a chance to keep going on and for them to have a chance at becoming bowl eligible. They have to win that game. And I think it'll be a shootout because Florida State doesn't play defense. Louisville can score, but Florida State can also score. We'll see. But the other games that are important there is Washington is playing at BYU. That's a big game for Washington. BYU is coming off two big wins in a row. They won at Tennessee in overtime, and they just beat USC last week in an overtime game. So that's a big, big game for both schools. Auburn and Texas A&M. This is a huge game for both schools, obviously. There's always tons of pressure on Gus Malzahn and Auburn. And then Texas A&M, you know, are they going to take the step in the right direction and become the second or third best team in the SEC West? Or are they going to stay kind of where they've been? They're technically in a rebuilding process, but Jimbo Fisher has a lot of pressure on him to get them in the right direction. If you remember last year, A&M had a lead in the fourth quarter. They let that one slip away to Auburn. This will be the third time that Jimbo Fisher's playing Gus Malzahn last year. And then, of course, the national championship game in 2013 with Florida State. And then UCF at Pitt. Now, I think a lot of people are just assuming UCF's going to go in there and thump Pitt. And they very well could. But I think that game will be a little more competitive than people realize, especially considering Pitt or sorry, UCF, is coming off their monster win against Stanford last week. Mind you, I don't think it's a very good Stanford team. I think Stanford will finish like 7-5 and five this year. But still, UCF took care of them handily, and now they go play Pitt. And UCF, I think if they go undefeated this year, they have a really good shot to make the playoff, especially if teams start losing, because they've made a name for themselves. Just like how Boise State made a name for themselves after, you know, a couple good seasons and had a chance to play for the BCS championship in 2010. They did lose a game, which cost them that year, but they went into that season ranked number three. Now, UCF is currently ranked 15th, but we'll see. If they blow out Pitt and then get through their schedule undefeated, I really think this could be the year we finally see an undefeated group of five school make the playoff. So that game's going to be really, really interesting. And I think Pitt is devastated after their loss, but they're well-coached for the most part, although you can make some arguments in the way their last game was handled. But they're going to have a shot to win that game. I am excited to watch that game. I don't know if a lot of other people are, but I'm really looking forward to that game. Then you move into the 7 p.m. slot. Again, this is all Eastern time. You have Oregon at Stanford. I'm a Duck fan, so I'm going to be checking that one out. Stanford 
always bounces back well, typically after losses. And Oregon has not done very well at Stanford, if you look at the history this past decade. And Oregon, if they think that, oh, Stanford's down this year, this is going to be an easy win, then they could be in trouble. Now, if Oregon respects Stanford, I think they should take care of business. That's going to be a good game. Now, 7.30, this game I'm really excited for, and that is Oklahoma State at Texas. If I'm a Texas fan, I'm really concerned about this game because Oklahoma State is 3-0 right now, which is historically when Oklahoma State isn't ranked coming into a season, they usually do pretty well. I think Mike Gundy has them exactly where they want. And Oklahoma State has played Texas pretty well while Tom Herman has been at Texas. So Texas needs to be very aware of that game and not get caught up in the, hey, we're back now, we almost beat LSU, this one should be easy, because I'm telling you, this game will not be easy. I think this game will be really close. The people in Vegas agree with me. And then, of course, 8 p.m., we have number three Georgia hosting number seven Notre Dame. And just those two teams playing each other is awesome. If it's anything like the game in 2017, we are in for an epic treat. I hope this game is really close in a battle. And this game is huge for Notre Dame. If Notre Dame is able to beat Georgia, that's going to be a really big deal. Because I think Georgia is as good as they look. And Georgia will still have a chance with that loss to run through the SEC and could still get to the SEC championship game. Could still win the conference with one loss, which would put them in the playoff more likely than not. So that game is a big, big deal. Super excited for that one. I'm going to be watching that one closely. It is a 14-point spread, and a lot of people think Georgia's going to win this one handily. I understand why people think that because of the way Notre Dame's looked. You know, Notre Dame played Louisville a lot tighter than people wanted, and Ian Book didn't look great in that game. But I also think Notre Dame has just been waiting for this Georgia game. The Louisville game caught them off guard because I think Notre Dame thought, hey, we're playing a team that was 2-10 last year. This will be easy, but Louisville's a lot better than they were last year. They're way better coached, and that game caught Notre Dame a little off guard, and then Notre Dame's just kind of played two patsies ever since. So we really don't know much about Notre Dame, but honestly, we don't know much about Georgia either. Georgia's only played like Vanderbilt, who's terrible, Arkansas State, and and I think maybe Murray State or another, another patsy, so... This game's going to be close, I think. I think it's going to be a lot closer than the experts think. I do think Georgia will win just because it does look like teams have had success running on Notre Dame, and obviously this will be the best offensive line and running team that Notre Dame will have played so far. But I'm really, really excited for this game. I'm excited for the entire weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. And it's just one of those Saturdays in college football where Like I said, you get to just stay on the couch, watch games all day. If you're not a huge college football fan and maybe your team isn't playing anybody big this week, just sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's worth of games because I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, anyway, that's all I have for you guys this week. And we'll see what happens with these big games, and I'm sure there will be a lot to talk about going into next week. So I'll see you guys then.